It's Friday, September 21st, and this is The Daily Dive. The roller coaster ride that is the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court took another twist as we found out that indeed Christine Blasey Ford is open to testify, just not on Monday, and only if terms were fair and if her safety could be ensured. Ben Schreckinger, national political correspondent for Politico, joins us for more details and also how those that know Ford and Kavanaugh are split in their support. Next, we touch base again with Wilmington, North Carolina, and see how the people are coping in the aftermath of Florence. Flooding still persists, and more may be on the way. Some are just getting power back, and others are just exhausted from the whole ordeal. Alex Riley, reporter for the Wilmington Star News, fills us in on how the recovery efforts are going in an area hit hardest by the storm. Finally, after the Sunspot Solar Observatory in New Mexico mysteriously closed earlier this month and scientists were evacuated, people were left wondering if dangerous solar flares were to follow or if aliens had anything to do with it. Well, we now know what happened. The facility was closed due to an FBI investigation about child pornography. We found out that the janitor was up to no good at night. Brianna Sachs with BuzzFeed News joins us for all the details. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. We want to get it over with. At the same time, we want to give tremendous amounts of time. If she shows up, that would be wonderful. If she doesn't show up, that would be unfortunate. Joining us now is Ben Schreckinger, national political correspondent for Politico. What started off seeming to be a slam dunk of a nomination for Brett Kavanaugh got thrown into all sorts of turmoil after Christine Blasey Ford alleged that he sexually assaulted her when they were in high school. Things have been changing every day over the course of this week. And there came a time where it was a will she or won't she testify. They were trying to do this next Monday. Now she's saying she's willing to testify, but not on Monday. What else do we know about this? We know that her lawyer said she's willing to testify as soon as next week, but not, as you mentioned, on Monday of next week. The position of Chuck Grassley, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, has been we want to hear from her on Monday or not at all. There is a question of whether they'll accept hearing from her later next week, given that it only is a matter of a few days. I think it will probably be difficult for Senate Republicans to decide that they're not willing to hear from her on Tuesday or Thursday or Wednesday or Friday if she is, in fact, willing to speak on one of those days. Nonetheless, Republicans are expressing more confidence in the last day or so that they're going to be able to keep this nomination on track despite this allegation. That was something that seemed much more up in the air at the very beginning of this week. Obviously, she first came forward on Sunday with this allegation. But we've heard from another, a number of Republicans, Dean Heller just being one example. He was set on a conference call with supporters that they still believe this nomination is going to go through. Part of the problem was that Chuck Grassley kind of just said, hey, it's going to happen on Monday. Before they had even heard back from her, they reached out by email. I, I think the story goes, but they hadn't heard back from her exactly. So they just set the arbitrary day of Monday. And even Miss Ford's attorney had said the same thing. You guys just set the random day. Give us a chance to prepare kind of thing. They were also asking, I think, to open it up so that other people can testify, not just have it be Brett Kavanaugh and Christine Ford. According to Ford's account, a longtime friend of Kavanaugh's judge was in the room when this alleged incident occurred. He has said that he does not want to talk to the Senate about this. 
not clear that they're going to compel him to. And obviously, Ford and her attorney have requested that the FBI investigate this. And if the FBI investigates, they'll certainly be seeking to speak with Ford and anyone else that can shed light on this. Still not clear, though, whether the FBI is going to look into this matter or not. As you were saying, Republicans feel like this is back on track even Marco Rubio had said, barring any extraordinary testimony by Ms. Ford or new damaging information about Kavanaugh, he's going to be on the court. It's going to go through. That's right. Obviously, once you actually have, especially if there's public hearing, how that testimony plays with the public could be a wild card. Hard to know what, what will happen if she does get up there in front of national television cameras, in front of all these senators. Republicans have expressed concern that a public hearing not only could be a problem for the Kavanaugh nomination, but the prospect of a bunch of older white Republican men interrogating her could just play poorly nationwide going into the midterms. So there are a number of political risks here for Republicans who, in some cases, seem to be hoping that she just does not accept the invitation at all to come testify and that the matter sort of fades away without further fireworks. And it just sets up this big he said, she said thing, you know, when they're just going to testify individually. And from everything we hear, both Brett Kavanaugh, aside from these allegations, take this out of it. Aside from this, you hear nothing but good things about Brett Kavanaugh and the same thing for uh, Ms. Ford and her family and both of their families and in the towns that they come from, they're split there. They both have good reputations. The families both have good reputations. Yeah, well, what's interesting from Washington's perspective is that here it's both a national political story and a local story in that this allegedly took place in the Maryland suburbs. Both Kavanaugh and Ford grew up there. Their families are well known there. Ford obviously moved out to the West Coast, but Kavanaugh has continued to live and make his career in this area. Their fathers golf at the same private club in Bethesda. And so this is a story where it's not just one that's hitting with national political implications, but for a lot of people around Washington also hits closer to home. Yeah. And Kavanaugh's mother, a former circuit judge, also had a run in with Miss Ford's mother in a foreclosure case. It ended up amicably. So, you know, you can't throw it in as like, you know, they're doing this as a retribution type of thing. They dismiss a case about barring a lender from revisiting an issue, you know, in a foreclosure case and allowed them to stay put. So it's just crazy how small the town is and how the interactions that they've had. And then now we come to this. That's right. And and now there's a question of whether they'll uh, their paths will converge once again, testifying at the same hearing sometime next week. But we still don't know whether or not that will come together and if it does, what exactly it will look like. Ben Schreckinger, national political correspondent for Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. We're a state that is hurting. But one thing I know is that North Carolinians are strong. North Carolinians are resilient. Joining us now is Alex Riley, reporter for the Wilmington Star News. So it's been a few days since we actually talked to you and we want to get an update on how it's going. Wilmington, one of the hardest areas hit by Florence. The last time we talked to you, there was severe flooding. There's still severe flooding going on. You were an island out there, as the descriptions were saying. It's still like that. Uh, some other major road closures happened and it's still hard to get access to uh, to you guys there. 
that's been the running theme since the storm came through and a couple of days after it passed. We got some access for a little bit, some roadways cleared up. The problem with this, though, is new water comes in from up in the upper part of the state or, you know, areas suddenly can't hold any water anymore. Dams start breaking, stuff like that, and you get new flooding. And we went from an island to having some access, a lot of back roads. I talked with a restaurant owner who lived in Raleigh, and uh, he actually came down for one of his franchises here in Wilmington. A trip that should take him about two and a half hours took him eight hours. I had to go all back roads and had to go up the coast to go down the coast. It was a pretty crazy route. But as of today, I think we're back to all the major roads are shut down. We're stuck again. I think there might be a few back roads open, but we're, we're pretty isolated once again. So. Yeah. <laughs> Officials are even saying uh, if you were going to come back, don't let the waters recede more because they're saying there's going to be more flooding as things start receding seating and moving. Pardon the pun, it's still a very fluid situation. Things can change at any moment. Your house can have power. You can be in a good spot, but unfortunately with supplies the way they are and the flooding moving around like it is, you can come stuck in an instant. And and the problem that we're getting is we're trying to get supplies down here, trucks with gas, trucks with food, water and stuff. But people who are in those other parts of the state or other parts of the country who are thinking, well, the storm's passed, I can go home. They're clogging up the roadways, making it hard for those supplies to get down here. So it's a double whammy, I guess you would say. Talk about I-40 and how important that is, because they're saying that even after the waters recede, there's going to be damage. There's going to have to be uh, repairs made to the road before people can really start coming back in mass. We've seen significant collapses on the road uh, in certain parts where it just gave way underneath sinkholes and stuff like that. So there's a ton of damage. And that's that's not even including what's still underwater because we don't even know what's underneath all the water that's standing. And you've probably seen the photos just like we all have online. You right. look and you're, you're looking at highway and it looks like a river, you know, two trees with yeah. water in the middle. It looks like you should be able to throw a fishing line out there and catch some bass. That's the way it is in certain parts. We had a sinkhole open up just at our office, just next to the building. Wow. So you never know where they're going to pop up. You don't know uh, when it's going to happen. And uh, they're going to be surveying I-40 and some of the other highways for a really long time to make sure they're structurally sound. Because we could be months after this and all of a sudden a sinkhole could open up from a little thunderstorm rolling through or so. It's going to be a good process. And the death toll has risen. It's about 37 people now that have died. A lot of them died trapped in their cars because they were trapped by the floods. That's why they tell you, turn around, don't drown. It it sounds so basic and so simple, yet people refuse to heed the warning and you could have driven over that spot a hundred times in the last couple of days because it's the way out of your house and all of a sudden it's three feet deeper than it was the day before. When did electricity come back? Probably not for everybody, but when did you guys get your electricity back? I've talked to people who, from the time the storm made landfall to now, have never lost electricity. Our IT guy at our office, when I talked to him today, he kept electricity all the way through. My wife and I, uh, we just got electricity back yesterday, which was Wednesday at about 6 p.m. somewhere in there, and the storm hit Wednesday night, basically. Yeah. So almost a full week without any electricity. And there's still areas you go out and drive around for five minutes and you'll see probably 50 line trucks out still working, cutting away debris, trying to get power lines back together. So there's still parts, significant parts of town, thousands and thousands and thousands of people who don't have power right now. And the latest I heard was that all power would be restored by Sunday. That's the goal for Duke Energy, who is the primary electric provider in, in New Hanover County, is to have everything restored by Sunday. But heck, that's still four days away. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I was and reading in some of the reporting, obviously it's very tragic, but people are saying that there's nothing to do because there's no electricity. And one of the only benefits is that at least neighbors are coming together more and talking to each other because you have nothing else to do at that point. It's true. Uh, you know, I've been out and about trying to find some food, trying to 
uh, find some shelter and stuff. We've got a dog and a cat just trying to get them cooled off because it's significantly hotter in our house than everywhere else when the power was out. And it's amazing the people you talk to. You're talking to people who are coming in from out of state to try to help. You're talking to people who are just trying to find a meal and, and a little bit of reprieve from everything that's going on. And, and it, it's amazing what people are doing in this community um, in terms of chainsaws showing up and, and cutting down trees. It's unfortunate that you have to go through something like this, but it does bring out the best in people a lot of times. Yeah, we hear stories about looting and things like that, but for yeah. the most part, people are really helping each other. We were It's almost ironic we were talking about this in the office when September 11th came around and we were you know re- remembering that anniversary and it was kind of like that day was a tough day, but kind of brought out the best in America and people helping people and supporting each other. Well, you know, unfortunately, here we are again, a bad situation, a terrible situation, cost people lives and changed lives, right. but uh, a lot of people are working to, to bring out the best I mean, it, it's something common to to rally around. And, and I know, yeah. you know, continuing to talk about these resources that are low, one of the, the stories that I was reading was how important it was to grab a bag of ice even. And people mm-hmm. were lining up for hours just to get some of these uh, supplies. And it's those little things that you're taking for granted. But I mean, you need these things and you need to line up for hours for this stuff. Thankfully, that that has calmed down a little bit. When, when gas stations first started coming back online, you could wait in line three hours to get gas, which seems silly because you're going to burn all the gas that you have in your car waiting to get more gas. It almost seemed stupid to do that, but people did. Heck, we, we <laughs> sat in line for about 45 minutes thinking we might get some, but turned around and, and left uh, right. before we got too far into it. But things have calmed down. I was actually at a gas station yesterday where there was no line. They did have gas available. The coolers out front were stocked with ice. So we're starting to see, if you know where to look, you're starting to see things get back a little bit to normal, but there's still that little ting of it's not 100% there yet and it's going to be a while before you get there. Right. And as the water keeps moving and receding, other areas could flood. Some of the rivers I've been seeing are expected to still crest and maybe spill out. So it's still an ongoing situation and the recovery efforts are going to be long coming still. We're not out of the woods yet. Uh, There's still a long way to go and hopefully Mother Nature doesn't send any more thunderstorms or anything this way, uh, uh, let alone another hurricane. Uh, But uh, we're praying and crossing our fingers that that doesn't happen. But so far, so good. Let's hope things continue on the positive track. Well, thank you for keeping us in the loop on what's going on in Wilmington. Like I said, you guys were, if not the most hardest hit area, I mean, definitely one among them. Alex Riley, reporter for the Wilmington Star News. Thank you very much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you all. It said at one point they saw a guy in a truck who was naked with like a black box one night in the area. And then he like was telling people there might be a serial killer. Joining us now is Brianna Sachs, reporter with BuzzFeed News. This is a weird story that we had been following for a little bit because it was just surrounded in so much mystery. The Sunspot Observatory in New Mexico, part of the National Solar Observatory, had closed down unexpectedly. Scientists and people working in there were evacuated and nobody said anything. Then it leads everybody on the Internet to do their favorite thing ever, speculate about aliens and maybe there's solar flares happening that nobody's telling us about. And we just found out what really closed down the Sunspot Observatory. What happened? Literally, no one would have guessed this. It was a child pornography investigation that the FBI was involved in, which is why people were like freaking out about it. They were investigating. It turns out they're saying it was the janitor of the observatory who was downloading and distributing child porn from the observatory over the past few months. It's like a game of Clue. Who did it? The janitor. 
the janitor with a black laptop in the, in yeah. the science room. You know, it was yeah. like, who could ever think of this? How were they alerted to this? How did they the investigation unfold? How did they find out it was him? Some undercover FBI agents were monitoring the type of activity. And in July, they noticed some IP addresses looking like they were sharing child porn files and they tracked three of them and they were all coming from Sunspot, New Mexico, specifically the observatory. So they like started kind of watching this and it was happening pretty much every day. So they alerted the director of the observatory and it started this investigation and tracing it to like certain spots in the observatory if they noticed there was like a pattern of when it was happening and it came to three people who had keys to the facility and then the timeline matched the janitor who started there a year ago and he was in the the facilities during the time that the the child porn was being downloaded. The observatory's chief observer, uh, you know, one of the employees there had found a black laptop at one point and said, this is weird, out of place. Let me check it. He opened it up and he saw the disturbing content on there. This was a weird part of it, too, is he kept finding it like tucked away in empty offices and he just kept assuming it was someone's one of the like a students or something. And then when he finally opened it, he was like, oh, And the janitor wasn't helping his case at all either because they turned in the laptop. So it was missing at one point and he didn't know about the seizure. He, you know, they were keeping it kind of quiet still. And he started acting all frantic and anxious and saying all sorts of crazy stuff. Exactly. He kept coming up to the director complaining about the lack of security and that he was afraid that someone was going to break in. And he had said at one point he saw a guy in a truck who was naked with like a black box one night in the area. And then he like, was telling people there might be a serial killer. And then so he he was just incessantly pressing the director to change the door code. And the chief observer then became so concerned and just kind of freaked out because he became so frantic. And uh, so he alerted his boss that he was in fear for his safety. And so then the bosses consulted the NSO and the National Science Foundation. And without telling the FBI, they were like, we're shutting it down. And so that's why the crazy sudden evacuation happened. I think uh, my favorite thing the janitor had been complaining said that I think people are sneaking in at night to steal the wireless and (laughs) toilet paper. Yeah, (laughs) five rolls of toilet paper have been, yeah, it was five specifically according to the search warrant. And then the best kicker was he was like, I should be able to just throw my laptop in a room and not worry about (laughs) having it being stolen. So one of the weird twists that I found out also was that the janitor's parents owned the janitorial contract for the observatory. So, you know, he ruins everything for his family there. The other interesting thing is that there's no charges been filed yet. They did go to his home and seize a bunch of stuff, but they haven't charged him with anything yet. You know, we reached out and they said they said it was an ongoing investigation. They they couldn't comment on that. So I am curious as to what the, the holdup is. You know, maybe they're still interviewing him. I mean, this they issued the warrant on the 10th and then I think searched his home maybe a few days later. So who knows? But it's definitely such a crazy situation. And right. You know, one of the biggest things was like the, sh- the local sheriff had no idea what was going on. And we still don't know anything about the janitor specifically, like how old he is or anything like that. Yeah, we don't know much about him at this point. Well, well, at least in the meantime, the mystery has been solved. There's no aliens <laughs> and the Sunspot Observatory is now open. I, it's yeah. also funny. They put it on their website. Hey, we're open again, ready to show you all the great science and public outreach uh, we do here. You know, just trying yeah. to put a, a positive spin on it and you know exactly. they're not going to know that they're that seedy janitors doing bad stuff 
No, I know. And it's funny, too. Even online, people are like, we don't believe it. It's the perfect diversion. <laughs> oh, no. So, yeah, the, the truth is uh, they're, they're still believing that the truth is out there. Brianna Sachs, reporter for BuzzFeed News. Thank you very much for joining us. No problem. Thank you. All right. That's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.